Hey everyone, welcome to the Whole Human Podcast. I'm Coach K, expert teacher turned master coach, and I'm changing the game in the health and fitness world. This podcast is where you learn real strategies to make your health support your life, not stifle it. This means that we dive deeper into the thoughts that create the actions and results that you want. No more battling your brain or your body, just the right steps and all the progress. Every episode has an actionable takeaway to make health fit you. So hit subscribe and I'll meet you here every Tuesday. Let's get after it. Welcome back to the Whole Human Podcast. This is episode 18, and I am actually very, very excited for episodes 18 and 19 because I put up on my Instagram uh, story, I offered and said, hey, peeps, do you want me to do a Q&A on the podcast? And everybody said, yes, that would be fun. So I have a lot of of your questions, and I'm going to be giving you the answers. Today is part one. I'm going to be splitting it up into a part one and part two. But before we get into it, a little life update. I am back in Oregon. We went to California for the weekend, and you guys, I went to my first ever quinceanera, and I had so much fun. It was a blast. We danced all night and I got to see my in-laws and my extended in-laws that I get to see infrequently. And it was a really great time. There was not a lot of sunshine. So I'm still waiting on sunshine and spring to come. So like I said in the last episode, if you have some, send it my way please. I'm ultra super excited because this weekend, and when you're listening to this, this will already have been passed, but this weekend is my habits and consistency workshop. And I just love teaching and I love teaching in person. And I cannot wait to just coach some people's asses off and get them to reaching their goals. And just, I'm super, super pumped about it. Um, If you were not there and you missed it, I'm so sorry. I can tell you right now, I know it's going to be amazing and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, So if you missed it, you can always go to wholehumancommunity.com and there's an events page that tells you all about the things that we are doing in Whole Human, both online and live. And I do have another very fun workshop coming up in May. So if you want to be there, you want to be involved, go check that out. Um, I'm excited for this Q&A. There were so many submissions. Like I said, I'm going to split it up into a part one and a part two. This is part one, and I'm going to focus this. I kind of sorted all the questions into two different sections, and I I have so many. I thought about doing three, Um, but part one is going to be focused on movement, nutrition, kind of fitness, health questions. And part two is going to be on me, personal questions that you asked me um, about my life and goals and different things like that. I love Q&As because I love to hear what other people do, how they live, the things that they love. Um, I just think, you know, a glimpse into people's daily lives and preferences is so interesting. I love people. I love humans. I love learning how we're different. I love how learning how we are unique and how like the things that move us. I'm a curious person by nature, absolutely. And I love that all of you were curious and submitted so many questions. And I want to start by saying, 
as I do this, and as I was reading some of those questions in this Q&A, I realized that answering some of them could go against what I believe about health morally and philosophically. Because what we do at Whole Human and what I've built all of my coaching and all of my courses on is making health fit you. And what that means is not doing what your neighbor does. So as we go through this, I want you to know that these are things that I do. Some of these questions will be things that I know about research. I'll answer in some of those ways, but there are some specific questions about what do you do for XYZ? Because I do it, listen and be interested, but because I do it and I found success with it, I don't want you to assume that you will do it and find success with it, right? Because that's not your health fitting you. That's you trying to say, I'm making Coach K's health fit me, and that's not how the world turns, my friend. So this is what I do want you to do. I want you to remember that you must do you. Instead of listening and thinking that what I do is going to work for you, I want you to listen. I want you to hear what I do and have them as possible ideas to test and become your own science experiment with. But ultimately, more than anything, you need to listen to your own body. Listen to what your body is telling you. Look at patterns you've done in your life and ask yourself what is working, what hasn't been working. And then try things. Try it. Listen to your body. Does your body like it? Is your body getting the results that you want? If it's not, try something different. If it is, then that probably fits you, right? And so I really want you to see these as like ideas, but you are not, we are not here on this episode to make Coach K's health fit you. We are here all the time, every single day to make your own health fit you uniquely the way you are. But like I said, I love doing this. I love hearing what other people do. I love being curious. And I'm honestly really excited to share some things about me and how I do things with you and then also answer some other questions. So not gonna try to make this too long, but let's get after it. Started with some easy ones first. There was a question asking, if I have no motivation to work out, is it okay to go later in the day? Yes, classic, make your health fit you. Go when it fits in your schedule. Go when it's exciting for you. Go when it's the best time. I've been experimenting with this a lot and I keep trying to make myself an evening workout person. It does not ever work. I hate working out in the evening. When I do it, I want it to be done. I want it to be fast. And I don't focus as much as I need to. So I am stopping that experiment yet again, and I'm going to be working out in the morning. So I'm the opposite of the person who submitted this question. If you have no motivation in the morning, don't go in the morning. Plan for a time that you will be more motivated. Plan for a time that fits into your schedule. That's how you make that fit you. So that's an example. You don't have to do exactly what I do, but that's how you make it fit you. Somebody asked me, what does my routine workout look like? Because they said my shoulders and arms are great. Tips for how they can get the look. Um, For me, I love working shoulders. And for me, the shoulders, the like upper body, the like clavicle area is just like a place that I love and I think is a very sexy place on a female I guess on a male too, but I think about myself when that feels good and strong, I feel sexy. And so I work shoulders all the fucking time. That's what it is. I am very, very consistent. I do the moves that I know, um, 
bring the most shape to me and that I can make the most muscle connection with. So I, for me, that's a lot of overhead presses um, in different ways. For me, that's a lot of lateral raises and some front raises. It's not a crazy ass program. That's it. I also like to work chest um, because I feel like that has helped define uh, obviously my chest, which is that front kind of like upper body area, all kind of tones, all of that. And so um, for me, that is what worked. And it's, so it's the consistency with that. There's not, even when I work out, even just if I'm only working out two or three days a week, if I'm working out two days a week, I'm doing a full body split. So I'm hitting shoulders both times. So I hit shoulders all the time. Um, the next question, oh, another easy one, top three booty workouts. Okay. Again, for me, these are going to be different than for other people. I get so much more activation when I do things in the sumo stance. So I love sumo goblet squats are just amazing for me. I love those so much. Um, and again, I don't switch it up. I do them over and over and over. Uh, and then also hip thrusts, I would say are my top two favorites. And I love glute bridges. I love those because, um, they're very accessible. You could do them all the time. You could do them with weight, without weight. Um, and I feel like similar to the hip thrust and similar to the goblet squat, I get a lot out of that in terms of getting the shape that I want. Um, another question was this, your body not recognizing, they're saying that they heard that your body doesn't actually recognize the amount of weight you are lifting. It just recognizes the stimulus. And what are my thoughts on that? And the thoughts are, yes, absolutely. You don't pick up a five pound weight and your body doesn't go, oh, I know this is five pounds. And then you pick up a seven pound weight, your body doesn't go, I know this is seven pounds. It goes, oh, I know this is heavier. I know this is harder. I know I have to work more to do it. And what I find, and I, I want to stretch the answer to this a little bit. What I have found is that when we think about stimulus, and this is something I work with my clients a lot on, our stimulus is more than just the weight we are holding. There are a lot of different stimuli that are on your body at different times. And so you might go to the gym and be like, wow, well, I was using, you know, 10 pounds before for my lateral shoulder raises. How come today I can't do 10 pounds and I can only do seven? Like I feel like a wimp. There are probably other stimuli on your body that that is making that feel more difficult. It could be lack of sleep. It could be increased stress. It could be so much. You could be underfed and needing more fuel. There's so many other things that go into stimulus on your body. And one of the things that we forget about a lot are our emotions. Our emotions are physical in our body. Just like when you know that you are in a bad mood, getting up out of bed, getting dressed feels a lot harder. When you're in a good mood, you're like, oh, bouncing around and getting it all done really quickly. Our emotions are also a stimulus on our body. So your body is constantly recognizing and working with all of that. It is an amazing being. You are an amazing being. Science is so fucking cool. Um, but yes, I would say that my thoughts are that makes so much sense and I see it all the time. The next question that came in was, 
that they have, this person has heard that there's something called muscle confusion. And if I'm correct, I think this is like what P90X is built on. Like you do a HIIT workout one day and then you do yoga one day and then you lift weights one day and you're constantly changing it up to keep your body just, I don't know, on its toes, I guess is the word that I wanna say, versus consistency. So in the bodybuilding world, you're like, nope, we're gonna do this for 16 weeks and we're gonna do the exact same thing over and over and over. And the truth is, and again, this is where there's not one thing that works. This is where... It depends on what your goal is. What are you trying to get out of it? That's how you should pick how you work out. If your goal is to make your booty big and round, then you need to consistently do the things that work. Like like I just said, I do three workouts for my shoulders and my butt over and over and over because that is what works and that is what creates that stimulus and I just progressively overload it and lift heavier or you know change the speed or there's progressive overload is another uh, conversation for another time. But for me and my goals, personally, they have been the shape change of my body and consistency in lifting weights and that stimulus over time is what has worked. So I would say, again, if you are going to use a muscle confusion strategy or if you want to use a consistency strategy, it all goes down to why, like, what are your goals? Why would you use either one at all? The next question that came in were progress pictures. How often do you take them? Uh, there's a couple different ways that I would approach this. And I do approach it with my clients. Again, we make everything fit everybody individually. So one thing about progress pictures is I have my students take them weekly, not because I need them weekly, but because it's easier to do things on a routine. If you have a routine, you're more likely to get them done. If I have students who aren't taking their progress pictures or just take them every once in a while, I'll get one and then like, Eight weeks later, I'll get one. And then two weeks later, I'll get one. And then four weeks later, I'll get one. And the inconsistency of that is not helpful. If I were to say a perfect world of what I would like progress pictures in, and this is what I have some of my students do who are um, want to have attention to this level, to their journey, but they will take their progress pictures in the in their early follicular phase because that's when they have the lowest water retention. Um, and then they don't take them every week, but they track their cycle, figure out you know when their body has gone back to homeostasis after their bleeding part of their cycle, after their period. And then they take their pictures then. So really you just need progress pictures often enough to watch for change, but weekly do not be, I would say as not an objective eye, if you do not have a coach looking at them, don't look at your own progress pictures weekly because you're not dropping inches every week. Like that's just not the way that it goes for the majority of people, but that's what we want to see in those pictures. So for a lot of people, they get disappointed. So I would say monthly in your early follicular phase is the best, most accurate time, but remember to look at them over time. Another thing about progress pictures that I like to tell my students is do not look at them right away. Do not even judge them at all or look for change right away because you are not emotionally neutral at that time. It is very hard to take pictures of yourself almost naked or in a bikini and then look at them for progress change and say, I'm neutral right now. I tell all my students, you know what? Don't look at them. Wait at least a week. And that I think will be helpful in the process, both when we think about routine, when we think about seeing progress, and when we think about our emotions as well. The next question came in, and this is uh, some of these are kind of like myth busting. This one says, 
I had heard a coach once tell me that after the third day off out of the gym, you're already out of shape. And I just want to say, whoever told you that, tell them to fuck off. (laughs) I just feel like how... That's the definition of fear-mongering. Like, don't ever go on vacation. Don't ever have a weekend. Don't ever have a birthday. Don't ever take three days off. Like, what human in this world isn't gonna take three days off for any reason because life lifes at all. And we do not want to be filled with fear that we're ruining everything that you're already out of shape. Let me tell you this. In these Q&As, I've gotten compliments on my body, on my booty, on my shoulders, whatever. I take four days off a week, every week. Sometimes I haven't worked out in over a week because we went to San Diego and I look the same and I am just as strong. When I got in my car accident, and I have a post on this way back on Instagram somewhere, but I got in a car accident in July of 2021 and I could not work out for weeks after and I was going to like PT for just things in my neck and in my spine or whatever. And um, it was also a time that I was in a fat loss phase I did not lose any muscle not going to the gym. My shoulders still looked great. They weren't pumped with like glycogen that goes in your muscles when you use them, but I retained everything. You are not losing fitness after three days off. In fact, a lot of my students who come to me are working out six, seven days a week. And the very first thing I do is say, you need a minimum of two days off a week, which is another question that came up. So I'll skip to that right here. It said, rest days, how often, what are some cues? How do you plan them? You need to be taking recovery time. If you're working out six to seven days a week, your body does not have the ability to grow your muscle. If you are working out the gym to grow muscle and change the shape of your body, then you have to have your muscles rest. It's literally the science behind what you need to be doing. You have to recover. You recover from food that you eat and you recover from sleeping and that time off, right? So make sure that all of those things, when you're talking about rest and recovery, all of those things need to be at play. So for instance, when we were talking about stimulus before, It's the same way for rest and recovery. If you are in a fat loss phase, that means your food is down, which means some of your recovery is down, which means you need to really focus on your resting and you need to really focus on your sleep in order to get the results that you want. What are some cues you need a rest day? Honestly, if you are, this is is where my thoughts have evolved on this. If you are at the point where you are working out so much that you are like waiting to feel exhausted before you take a rest day, that's your cue that you are not doing a what I would consider a healthy pattern for your body. You want to preemptively have a rest day before your body is like breaking down and exhausted because one, that feeling sucks and why would you want to feel that way? But... Two, having it be a routine and something you do regularly means, one, you stick to it more. And all of my students have found that their bodies are just happier when you plan your rest day ahead and you make sure you have enough versus waiting to get one. Their results are always better. I don't have research to back that. I just have case studies. And I will say 99% or more of my students find that it is more enjoyable to not wait until your body breaks down. Now, some of the other cues that I think would be really, really big after you say, if you're just working out four days a week and you know that you normally take three rest days. So let's say that's what your pattern is right now. Some cues that I would be looking at would be how stressful is my week coming up? Do I have a big thing at work, right? 
if you think your stress stimulus is going to increase, then I would add an extra rest day preemptively. I'd be like, oh my goodness, next week is the craziest week at work. I'm going to take three rest days instead. That way I stay sane and happy. And I'm going to take one extra rest day next week to lower my stress. And then that also gives you time back to rest after work and do something that fills your cup. So I guess that's that on rest days. Uh, Going back. Ooh, I love this question. Tips on starting to run. I will say the biggest tip that I used to give everybody, um, for those of you who are listening and don't know, I love running. I'm not currently running, um, but I've run 12 marathons. I don't even know how many half marathons, how many relays, how many smaller races. Um, I used to run a lot, a lot, a lot before I got into competitive bodybuilding, before I got into Spartan racing. Um, And so I love running and I love when anybody wants to start running. I think it's so fulfilling and so much fun. But here's the big thing. This is why everybody hates running 100% of the time. Because when people go to run, they all start at too fast of a pace. No matter what that is for you, you know? So some people are like, oh man, I was exhausted. I tried to run a mile and I, I couldn't get past half a mile. I was just like breathing so hard and panting and my legs were so tired and yada blah. It's because you are trying to go out too fast. The biggest tip I could give you ever is run slow and then run even slower than you think you need to be. When we run naturally as kids and play, you just like go and sprint around with tag. But when you are going to become a runner, if you want to run a 5k, if you want to run a mile, if you want to run a marathon, you have to think about pacing yourself, which means starting slow. And then that leaves you reserves to go further. So what I would do is I would start running I think outdoor is more fun than on a treadmill in the beginning, but whatever, do you again. Start running at whatever pace you think you should be, then slow down. And then just go and see how that feels. And I would start with, uh, I would start with instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go run a quarter of a mile and be done, I would say, start doing, I'm going to do my slow run slower than I think and tell yourself it's going to be slow and there is no shame. It's only going to bring you further progress. So do a slow two-minute run and then walk two minutes. Then do a slow two-minute run and then walk two minutes. And I would do that for 25, 20 to 30 minutes. And then instead of extending that to 30 to 40 minutes, I would then say, okay, then do two minutes slow running, one and a half minutes of walking, two minutes, and shrink that time in between. That's how I would start it. So I wouldn't say just go do a quarter of a mile and then after that go do, you know, 0.4 and after that do 0.5. I would do a run-walk combination to get into it. Um, The next question was, what do you do, cardio or weights first? Again, it matters what your goal is. When I was um, running, I ran first and then lifted light after because running was more important to me and I wanted all my energy, if I was doing a speed work or whatever it was, to perform because that was part of that. If my um, goal is to change the shape of my body, then I want all of my energy to go into lifting, especially if I'm lifting heavy. I don't want to be exhausted because I want my form to be on point. So it depends on your goal, just like everything else. Um, The next question is stretching. Does it make you less steady? There has been, and I have seen some research that has come out that says things like, or that has shown in certain research projects, not all of them. So in my mind and what I've seen, it's not conclusive in either direction, but that stretching 
can loosen you up before a workout to a point where your body isn't able to do heavier work. And so that's something that I have seen in research. But like everything else, especially because there's not conclusive evidence, you need to listen to your body. How does stretching make you feel? How does stretching make your lift feel? Everybody's body is different. Some people, when I very first, for instance, started running because I was a dancer before that, I was too flexible. So I didn't need, I needed to stretch less because I was too flexible for my body then. But if you are somebody who's like too tight, then you need to stretch more because then you're not flexible enough, right? So that is not a generic thing that we can say everybody must do this. This is something that you really have to listen to yourself for. Um, I had a PT once, nor a lot of normal recommendations for physical therapy when I had an injury one time are to stretch. And I started stretching, it made my injury worse. And my PT was like, nope, then stop. Stretching is, in my experience, really, it depends on what your body needs. So when you are thinking about stretching, I want you to stop. And again, like I said in the beginning of this, don't do it because someone else does it or said so. Even if a, even if there is conclusive evidence to do something one way, I would urge you to still be a critical consumer of what you do and say, okay, the research points in this direction. I'm going to try it. It is still possible that you could be an exception to that rule, right? And so Stretch before your workout, see how your workout is. Try it for two weeks every time, see how it works. Then don't do it for two weeks and see how that works. And then you tell me, does stretching prime your body better or not? Uh, the next question, and we're moving into, I'm trying not to make this too long. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions left. Um, the next question is, what are your favorite leggings for working out. And I am sorry to disappoint, but I don't know. I don't really care. I like the ones that go on my body and stay on my body. And if they don't show my underwear, that's a plus. I have a variety of leggings. I like some of the Balance Athletica. What did they change their name to Vitality? I like some of those to wear. They're really comfortable. They're not all created equal. There's a yoga pant made by Nike that I love to run in. And then there's also a run legging and Lululemon that I love to run in. But I feel like it is much harder for me to find something I like to run in than it is for me to find something that I like to lift in. But I am not loyal to one place or one thing. I just like what goes on my body. The next question I love, John was like, what is your answer to this? It said, the question was, how many days a week do you wash your hair? I wash my hair maybe one to two days a week. With running less, I get less sweat in my hair. And so I just don't find the need to do it more than that. When I was running more, I had to wash it way more often. Um, and so that was always an issue. But again, whatever works for you, boo. Uh, I love, 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 love this question because this is something, a myth that I love busting for my personal self and for all my students. They asked, how much water am I really supposed to drink? Like, what's the deal with the gallon a day myth? And this again is a place, and this is, this is why your health can feel hard sometimes and why it is nice to have objective help is because our health needs to fit us. Someone who tells you drink a gallon of water is not giving you objective help, by the way. They are just telling you what to do without considering you at all, right? What my students do is we actually say, how do we feel? First, when we think about water, 
we first analyze and say, how much am I drinking? That's the first thing that you have to do. If you are drinking 40 ounces of water, please don't go try and drink a gallon of water a day. Please don't. That is such a big difference and it would be so uncomfortable and you will hate it. So we figure out where are they and we figure out how that makes them feel, right? A lot of people come to me and and I would say this is closer to unanimous in terms of pattern, but most people who are drinking 40 ounces or less or up to 60 ounces a day don't feel optimal or great. So what we do is we work up that system. So if they're at 40 ounces, we're like, okay, start drinking 55, start drinking 60, like one extra water a bottle. And as they climb that and as they go up, because a gallon is like 128 ounces or something like that, as they climb up in ounces, we are constantly saying, how does your body feel? Most people instantly feel more energy the more water they drink, so then they're more motivated to try more. But there does become a certain point where they're like, okay, I'm peeing so much, my pee is like clear, and I'm peeing seven times a day, and I don't know, I feel like this is enough water. That is enough water for them. And that, for some people, might be 80 ounces. Some shorties on a cold day do not need to drink a gallon of water. But I also have a friend who loves a minimum of a gallon and a half, and that's what makes her feel good. So a gallon a day is just what people started to say, and it's literally made up in the bodybuilding world. I will say that in the whole human community, we do shoot for about, oh, I hate using shoot. We do create a goal to get about 100 ounces as a general guideline because that's where I found a lot of people like to be, somewhere in the 80 to 110 ounces range. And the reason why having an ounce goal or even using the gallon, if you want to, if you like that, the reason why that's nice is because in our world where we are today and in the modern world that we are in, we are so distracted all the time. And oftentimes we don't feel our hunger. Oftentimes we are distracted from feeling our thirst. And we obviously would like to lean on our body's natural signals for that, but we don't feel them when we are on the TV, in a meeting or whatever, or we don't, if we do feel thirsty, a lot of us without that goal in mind or that, that, that certain amount in mind, we don't get up to go refill our glass of water. So the ounce goal or having a certain amount that we wanna drink is helpful because then we don't necessarily have to rely on that. We also don't necessarily wanna be tracking our pee and looking at the color of our pee all the time and counting how many times did I pee today. But whatever amount of ounces you drink that makes you pee around five times with light yellow to clearish color of pee is enough. If that is 80 ounces, that's you. If that's 128 ounces, that's you. Uh, Three more questions, four more questions. Protein snacks. What are my favorite go-to protein snacks? They're hard to figure out. Uh, I don't try to force protein to my snacks. I don't know how to make my popcorn, which is my favorite snack, uh, protein. So I just eat protein everywhere else instead. Easy peasy. There's your solve. What is my favorite recipe? Uh, I John and I don't follow recipes when we cook anymore. I don't measure anything. Um, whenever I give recipes to my community, I always feel bad because I'm like, here are the ingredients to something. I don't know the amounts because I just toss them in there. Uh, but I would say probably my all-time favorite recipe is my and John's Chipotle beef tacos with our uh, like refrigerator pickled cap- spicy cabbage slaw and made my mouth water just then saying that. It is so delicious and we could eat them after and after and after. That slaw 
I've had to be very specific that uh, pickled cabbage slaw that I, um, I make goes on everything. I put it on hash. I put it on burgers. We put it on salads. We put it on our tacos. It goes on everything. So maybe that. Uh, the next question is, how do you control snacking after drinking? And this one I think is a really important question because I think a lot of people have experienced this and a lot of people find this frustrating. And the first thing that I will say is it is a mindset thing. And what's really hard is when you drink, you're in less control, right? Because you get buzzed and you just kind of like become more loose in your mind and your goals and your desires. And so it definitely comes with practice and practicing and strategizing in different ways. So the ways that my students see success with this are, and the very first thing is planning ahead, saying, I know I'm going to snack after I drink. I know that. I know that if I'm going to be out dancing, one, I'm going to be hungry by the time I'm done dancing. And so I first plan for it. That is the very first step. Plan for it. The next step is, if you want to go beyond that, is plan what it will be. Plan something that you know makes your body feel good. I think we've all been through that experience where like we order some food with some friends and the next morning we wake up feeling like shit and our digestion is so bad because we whatever we ordered didn't feel good. One of the big things that we practice in Whole Human and Whole University specifically is to eat the things that make us feel good because waking up feeling like you can't shit or you are you going too much is not good. So we practice that. And the more that we practice those choices, the easier they become even when we're drinking. And I will say one of the last things that we do is we also find our Goldilocks level with how much we drink. You all know I love cocktails. But if you are constantly drinking past your Goldilocks level, past the point where you can't make any decisions all the time, then that's probably not what I would consider your Goldilocks level. We want you to be buzzed. We want you to be having fun. We want you to be enjoying the night, but we don't want you to be like incapacitated and unable to make a decision that works for you and makes you feel good. So those are the things that I would do in order to control um, your snacking after drinking. Also, yeah, that's where I'd stop. How do you, and this is the last question, then I'll close this up and we will save the rest for part two, but this one says, how do you prioritize movement and nutrition when the motivation is missing? And this one is huge. When I teach about consistency, when I teach about anything that we do and your habits and uh, reaching your goal, the first thing I do and the first unit in whole university, or I guess the first one's like, how to use whole university, but the first unit of actual teaching and homework in whole university is setting your goal and finding your why. I have found so many times that we cannot prioritize movement and nutrition because we are motivated by the wrong thing. If you feel like your motivation is missing, it's because you're looking in the wrong place. And so what I would do very first is I would say, why do you even want to focus on your movement and nutrition? Why? And a lot of people will be like, oh, I need to because, you know, I should weigh this much or I should be doing this. No, get rid of the shoulds first. No shoulding on yourself, not allowed. You need to say, why? Why would you focus on your movement? Why would you focus on your nutrition? 
Is it because you want to lose weight? Okay, why do you want to lose weight? Losing weight is not a goal. Losing weight is a progress marker to a different goal. Why do you want to lose weight? Because you want to be confident, because you want to be able to move like freely and have better mobility? Is it because you want to be a role model for your children? Whatever it is, that is your goal. And that is what you need to think about. So instead of saying, oh, I need to go to the gym because I want to lose weight, think, oh, I want to be able to lift both my kids at the zoo. How can I get myself one step closer to that today? That's what we need to be thinking about. So your motivation is missing because you're going after the wrong thing all together. Thank you all so much for your questions. Doing this again would be so much fun. I'm really excited to do part two. Part two are the questions that you had all about me. And tune in because I think I'm planning to share some things that I probably haven't really shared extremely publicly before. I had some questions about my childhood. um, And I think I'm ready to share about some of that. So I'm excited and thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Whole Human Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. I would love for you to head over to my Instagram at It's Kayla Jury and introduce yourself. Literally, please slide into my DMs. Getting to know you, the listener, is what will make these episodes even more special. I can't wait to hear from you.